Welcome to Talking Supply Chain. In each episode, top supply chain industry professionals and the nation's top thought leaders join host Brian Strait and share their unique insights to help supply chain managers stay one step ahead of their competition. This is Talking Supply Chain. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Talking Supply Chain. I am your host, Brian Strait, and today we're discussing autonomous technologies. Whether it's drones, delivery robots, or self-driving cars, autonomous technology is not only creeping up on us, it has arrived. And with that comes another set of concerns, and that namely theft and safety. TikTok has accounts dedicated to, let's just say, defeating the robots, right? The Film the Robots account proclaims that it's been, quote, putting robots in their place since 2022. The account is filled with people stealing items from delivery robots, knocking over the robots, even sitting on the robots. Anything to disrupt their mission, which ultimately is customer service. Safety is even yet another concern that we need to deal with with these things. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But regardless, it's clear, though, the robots have arrived and we have to learn to coexist with them. Joining me today is Yarov Bash. Yarov is the co-founder and CEO of on-demand drone delivery provider Flytrex. Welcome, Yarov. I'm excited to talk to you with this about you. Oh, to talk to you, you on this topic, I should say. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Happy to be here and happy to, uh, to speak on, uh, on the subject. Yeah. Um, can we start? Can you tell us just a little bit about your background, Flytrex, and its mission? Sure. So, Flytrex is uh, just like DoorDash or Uber Eats or any other on demand delivery company. Uh, the, uh, the difference is that we're using drones instead of humans, so we can give a better cheaper, faster service than anyone else. Yep. Yeah. The, um, you know, you, you've got, obviously, you've got a lot of background in technology here. I mean, drones, um, whether drones, robots, et cetera, um, some of the technology is similar. I mean, you're doing it in the air, others are doing it on the ground. Um, but we need to learn to coexist with these robots. So some of the issues that delivery robots are having, um, theft, vandalism, et cetera, I think it probably concerns the companies, even your company, with, with drones, right? I mean, we've seen videos of people online threatening to shoot drones down as target mm-hmm. practice. Um, so, I mean, this stuff is out there, and, and it, I think this leads to concerns for people. So as a provider, um, in your case, drones, but is there anything you can do as a provider that can help prevent these types of incidents from occurring, whether that's theft or, or vandalism, et cetera? Uh, in our case, I can say it starts with design. Uh, starts with designing a vehicle. Uh, that will be less susceptible to, uh, to theft and vandalism. In our case, for instance, we do not land in your backyard. We hover more than 80 feet up in the air and lower your food or package on a tether. And even if you try to pull the tether, the wire, you just release it and fly back. Mm-hmm. And we've done more than 50,000 deliveries in the U.S. so far uh, without a single vandalism or theft incident. Uh, another thing is, of course, public outreach. Don't surprise the neighborhood. Let them know you're coming. Uh, let them, you know, come and speak with you or about people on the ground. Uh, be as, uh, you know, as courteous as you can. Listen to their concerns. Uh, it's a, uh, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not a, a, a one-way door where you just come, open a station in a, uh, in a town, and uh, that, that's it. Start doing drone deliveries. Uh, it's about listening to the community and understanding what they care about and making yeah. sure that their uh, needs and concerns are answered. Yeah, and I was, I was going to ask you, um, I, you've, you've touched on that obviously right there with, with the community aspect of this, but mm-hmm. um, whether it's a drone or a robot or a self-driving car for that matter, um, 
it, it, it takes more than just you, you guys on, on the safety side, right? So can you talk a little bit on, on high level, how do you, how do you address um, safety in a community? I mean, is it, is it, a, is it about communication? Is, is it about showcasing what your, what, you know, the safety features are, what it, what it's capable of doing, what happens if something goes wrong? I mean, how do you go about um, addressing those concerns that communities and local politicians have? I'd say it starts with regulations. And our drones might look like something you can buy online, but they're actually certified almost to be a commercial airplane. And we've gone through a five-year process together with the Federal Aviation Administration, the FAA, to certify them as, as such. Uh, these are not your consumer drones that you can buy online from China. Uh, these are designed, manufactured, and certified by FlightX uh, to fly above people in highways uh, in a safety level that's equivalent to a uh, passenger airplane, or almost to a passenger airplane. So it starts with that. Uh, but then when people start using our drones and they understand the benefits, they realize that you know it's, it's there to serve them. The, uh, the risk isn't bigger than uh, you know, a 787 flying above your neighborhood. It's actually lower. If we crash in your backyard, it's you know it's mostly our problem. If, uh, 787 crashes in your backyard. That's uh, that's a whole other story. Uh, so when they understand that it's uh, a net positive thing for them, it's going to improve their life. They're going to pay less and get a better service. Uh, it's a very easy sale. Yeah, one one of the um, one of the issues with safety obviously is the the unforeseen things that come up. Right. And, and, and I always think I heard this story years ago and this probably goes back to, I don't know, was it 2017, 2016, even maybe when Volvo was testing an autonomous car, a self-driving car in Australia and the vehicle would speed up and then slow down suddenly and speed up and slow down suddenly. And they couldn't figure out why it was doing that. Right. Um, so they, they spent months investigating this and they, what they determined was that the sensors on the car were detecting kangaroos up ahead. So it would detect the kangaroo, it would start to slow down. But then, of course, what does a kangaroo do? It jumps, right? And and it would jump, and then the car would see there was nothing there, so it would speed up again. And, and it was having this issue. So as they were developing it, you know, obviously that was a concern, right? How do you deal with things like that? But, you know, we've seen – obviously technology has gone a long way since then. I mean, this was a number of – like I said, that was probably seven or eight years ago. But we still see these things – Today, in August, there was a driverless car in San Francisco that proceeded to drive itself into wet concrete and get stuck. Um, there was a delivery robot in California this summer in a viral video that got to an area that was roped off a of police tape. But yet it determined that it was safe to proceed because I think the tape was probably higher than than the sensors were in some way. So it just drove itself right through the police crime scene. Um, so these things these things happen. And, you know, as a, as a developer, it's very difficult, I think, to program for any of the possible millions of scenarios that could potentially occur, right? Um, we as humans make judgment calls on these things. Um, you know, a, a guy once told me about, you know, his neighborhood, they have a lot of low-hanging trees over roads. So he knows during ice storms to drive a little slower because the branches may fall. Right. So how do you prepare for those kind of scenarios? When you do that, how do you how do you build a system? And, and this is probably a very complicated question, but how do you build a system that can accommodate these unforeseen things that you have no idea what's going to happen out there? How, how do you accommodate that? How do you build a system that can deal with something that you couldn't possibly have foreseen when you designed it? Well, Brian, I have to say we just chose to 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 solve a simpler problem. <laughs> uh, 
autonomous vehicles on the ground, that's that's really hard. Yeah. So many unknowns, as you mentioned, other humans, everything's, you know, tight and, and, and dense. Uh, and when you go up in the air, it's like a desert. There's no one else there. Maybe yeah. sure there's a, like an airplane flying above you once in an hour, but that's basically it. <laughs> and if it gets denser, then it's a 3D, you know, air. You can have multiple flight holes on top of one another, uh, something that you can't really do on the roads. Well, you can, but it's, uh, you know, a hell of a story. Uh, so by at least for flight tracks, by going to the air, we just, you know, got rid of most of what you've been asking about. I, I don't have to deal with wet concrete or, or police right. signs or anything like that. And when we're flying above, uh, a, you know, a small town in North Carolina, we, we don't have any of those problems. Yeah. Uh, we, we don't fly fast, too fast. So other birds, they just see us, they ignore us or fly away from us. And again, we're flying above the town, not about the, above the forest. So it's not much of a problem. And in terms of other airplanes, uh, we're now basically working on that together with a few other companies and the FAA to make sure that no matter what, the, the airspace stays safe for the manned aviation. And when yeah. you're uh, flying really low, but still flying in the air. So again, to answer your question, we, we just circumnavigated that problem by going up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Do you, I, I imagine that you, you have to be concerned, I would think, about uh, just the individuals that may have drones themselves though, right? I mean, you, you wouldn't know what community member, what, what person may have a drone and may be flying it through their backyard as you're flying through the area. Is that a concern at all? Uh, so again, we've done more than 50,000 deliveries to date. Uh, as far as we're aware, we, uh, we've done the most home drone delivery, uh, deliveries in the US. Uh, nothing like that ever happened. Yeah. On top of that, the FAA is now introducing the uh, remote ID initiative where each consumer drone that will be sold will have a beacon with its uh, own ID and its location. And we're already integrating a uh, remote ID receiver into our drones so that if we, we do identify an incoming drone in the area, we'll be able to uh, either you know, return home or to uh, just you know, circumnavigate it. Um, staying with safety for a minute too, um, I, I want to get into like your relationships with regulators and, and local governments when you build, when you, you enter a community. Um, I've heard from trucking, I mean, I've got quite a bit of background in, in the trucking industry and, you know, people always talk about how roadway safety, I mean, everybody, everybody complains about the safety of big trucks, right? But it really is a shared experience. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just the truck driver or the truck, equi you know, equipment maker, manufacturer. Um, it's the other vehicles on the road. It's the regulators who set the policies, the speed limits, the width, the lanes, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I imagine it's probably something similar for you guys, even though you're flying up in the air, there's not as much, there's not much traffic and whatnot. Um, but you've got to work with government to, to do these things. And, and some governments, they don't have rules, right? I mean, they're making these things up as they go in some cases. So can you talk a little bit, when you go into a community, I mean, you've had a lot of success in North Carolina um, and some other places. But when you go into a community, how do you approach the government? What, you know, what kind of steps do you have to go through to get approvals? And, and, and how difficult is that process? So the, the major hurdle is, of course, the, the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration, uh, because to certify an airplane takes time. That's, uh, <laughs> it's a, um, I think that process has been uh, in place for more than 90 years now. 
Mm -hmm. and it's only getting harder for a good reason because aviation keeps getting better and safer and we want to make sure that it stays that way and uh, a few years ago the FAA announced that they're, uh, they're going to start to work on a uh, new regulatory framework for commercial drone uh, activities and when we had that we basically stopped doing uh, some pilots that we've already been doing in other states and, and other countries around the world because we understood that although it's going to take more time as you can imagine, working on a new regulatory framework in the U.S. with the FAA, that's not a six-month <laughs> process. We, we realized that they're actually tackling the problem in the right way. Uh, they understood that this is going to be a huge thing. We're going to have a lot of drones flying above our heads, deliveries and, and, and other, uh, other kinds of drones, and they wanted to solve it in a, uh, in, you know, in, in a, uh, uh, really uh, from the roots, uh, building a new framework instead of just giving temporary waivers and exemptions for, for a few pilots like we've seen in most other countries around the world. Uh, yeah. So even though it's taking time, we, we understand at, at the end, we, we have to make sure that our sky stays safe. The FAA is liable for that and they're very cautious and for a very good reason. Uh, and everything takes time, uh, that's how it works. And regulations all, always follow technology, uh, and it's yeah. uh, not different in, in case of drones. Uh, but I think we're on the verge of, of a few companies, Flytex included, getting enough waivers or approvals uh, to be able to start scaling drone deliveries throughout the US. So that's on a federal level. Uh, when it comes down to, uh, you know, states and municipalities, basically everything in the air is uh, very basically is mandated by the FAA. However, on the ground, there are zoning issues. Um, usually it takes a few months. Uh, the uh, local municipality uh, starts by uh, better understanding what you want to do, how it's going to impact the, uh, the local community. And usually after a few months, we, we, we get an approval to open a drone station on the ground. Um, yeah. That's basically it in terms of, you know, federal and local regulations. Yeah. So so from, from a local perspective, it's really what happens on the ground that mm -hmm. they're concerned with primarily. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've, you've gone into a number of areas. And like you said, I think you've said you've done 50,000 plus deliveries mm -hmm. at this point. Um, I think your first community in the U.S., I believe, was Holly Springs, North Carolina. That's correct. Is that correct? Um, when you think back when you went in there, um, can you kind of talk a little bit about your journey? What, what was the community reaction when you said, hey, we're going to come make drone deliveries in your community? Um, you know, was there skepticism from the community, you know, local politicians? Um, companies in the area even maybe and how have those uh, opinions changed over time I, I have to say that they were pretty positive from day one yeah uh, we, we came and we uh, did a showcase at the uh, town hall and we actually invited uh, the residents of Holy Springs to come and, and talk with us speak with us we heard about the concerns we, we showed them what we we're about to do we started really small uh, doing deliveries to just a few houses uh, just across the, uh, the shopping center. And our station was uh, in the shopping center, at the, uh, like, just nearby, so that everyone who came to the shopping center would be able to stop by and see the drones and talk with the team in action. Uh, so we really tried being as open as possible. 
letting people understand what we're here, what we're doing, and uh, uh, making sure that they're you know they're on board and they're they're not uh, th that any concern is mitigated. Yeah, have have you had um, you've had good success there? Have you had other communities that have been a little more skeptical? Um, not that much so far. Uh, wherever we go, it might take you know instead of three months, it might take four and a half months yeah. to get the approvals. But mostly people understand what we're what we're about to do, and they understand that it's also good for the local community. We hire local people to our uh, folks to uh, to operate drones. Uh, it it gives you know more business to our local uh, mom and pop shops. So uh, usually people are on board with the uh, with the service. Yeah. The, you know, it sounds like this is probably not an issue at all, but um, I, I wonder about law enforcement in the communities. Is that, has there been any concern? Do you have to reach out to them and, and, and brief them on your plans as well? I mean, it, I, I imagine they don't want to be getting a bunch of phone calls from people. Hey, there's this thing flying over my house with a box on it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, of course, we, we also onboard them as well. But it's uh, it's more of a you know conversation. This is what we're going to do. Uh, here are the FAA credentials. We we certify to do uh, what we're about to do. Uh, yeah. And again, together with the uh, community outreach, usually there's there, there aren't too many problems. Yeah, we the um you you touched. I asked you about kind of the regulatory. You, you talked about the FAA versus local um, and some of the rules mm -hmm. and whatnot. Um, can you? Can you describe maybe, if you don't mind, your approach to regulators, whether it's FAA um, or you know, locals? I mean, what, what's the process you use to get them to understand what it is you guys are doing? Is, is it an educational approach? Is it, you know, very, is it data oriented? I mean, what, what do they look for? What do you try to provide them? It's, it's uh, so you mentioned, uh, it's actually the other way around. We, we, we like to understand what, uh, what's their major concerns. What bothers them, and how we can help solve their problems. And we, we really, it's, it's uh, at the end we, we understand their job, and they have a very hard job. Uh, you know, the, the easiest for them would say is to say no. You know, they are already manned airplanes. We're good with that. You know, guys. You know, let's talk in five years after I'm I'm in pension. Uh, you know, leave me alone. Uh, and, and they're not doing that. They're actually eager to get us in the air. So it's our job to help them to understand what they need, what are their yep. concerns, what are the current, uh, the current regulatory uh, frameworks that we have to follow, and how to do that in a uh, in a respectful way, because the drones are a bit similar, uh, different than you know a 787. Uh, so there are differences, but you really have to make sure that you cover every corner, uh, because even though they're motivated to help you and they want to help you. Uh, they're not going to cut any corner for you. So yeah. it's it's really about it's about gaining their trust. And uh, we've been working with, for more than five years now with the FAA, uh, and it, it takes time to build that trust uh, that they feel that they can rely on you, that you're not cutting any corners, and you're you know uh, if we have malfunctions or errors or things things we're modifying, you're always modifying and improving your. Uh, your system, both the vehicle and the entire system, which includes clouds and and, uh, and, and computers and tablets and, and our training manuals and whatnot. And they have to feel that they're like a, uh, a partner to you rather than a, 
adversary who is trying to uh, to hide things from you. Yeah. Um, I wanna, we got a few minutes left. I, I want to ask you a couple of questions kind of about the future, if we can. Um, you know, first, I guess, you know, autonomous deliveries, drones, robots, et cetera, you know, we're seeing these more and more today, but they're still not widespread. Um, you know, what, what do we need at this point for them to become widespread? Is it a, is it a technology breakthrough? Is it a scale and cost of efficiency you know, breakthrough? I mean, is there an inflection point that we need to reach at some point? Um, is it more safety data? What, what, what needs to happen for us to be able to, you know, fully adopt this as a society and make this a part of any kind of delivery that you want? So I'd say it's a combination of, of regula- regulatory progress, technological progress, and at the end, it, it all boils down to unit economy. Can you improve the uh, the current service and give a better service for a lower price. If yeah. you can, then you have a viable business. If not, then, you know, it might be a nice pilot and some marketing stunts, but you're not going to gain real traction. And I, I think it doesn't matter if it's a uh, an airplane or a ground-based vehicle. Uh, it all boils down to does it really actually work? And can it generate revenue and profits? And is it better than what we have today? Uh, and if one of the, those answers is it's not, then it's not going to happen. Uh, and of course, to get that, you have to go through regulatory hurdles and improve your technological product as well. Uh, so it's, it's about those things. Okay. Is that is, the way I look at it? Is there an area somewhere that that is that is expected that you'd expect to be profitable. I mean, I, I don't know how viable deliver, drone delivery in cities like in New York City is, right, mm-hmm. with all the buildings and everything. But mm-hmm. certainly, I think out in in more rural areas, it, it probably is viable. Um, is is there some segment that you think is like this is going to be the segment that takes off first? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. It's about uh, you know, you can call it a product product market fit. As you said, drones aren't going to be that. Uh, useful in Manhattan or downtown uh, San Francisco between the, uh, the skyscrapers and the high-rise buildings. Uh, we're aiming at the suburbs where roughly two-thirds of the U.S. population lives, uh, roughly 82 million backyards. Uh, so that's a huge market that's currently underserved. Uh, deliveries on demand, deliveries today cost a, uh, an arm and a leg in the suburbs. Uh, because the courier is using a one-ton car to deliver you a, uh, a burrito or a hamburger. It's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's also it's, it's not exactly green or economical. Yeah. Uh, so while there's a huge need, the, the current way to fulfill that need is, is very expensive and uh, not, that, uh, not that economical. Um, yeah. So that, that's where we're aiming. Uh, high-rise buildings, we might tackle that in the future, but we'll start with most of the market and then we'll get to the, uh, to the niche market of, of major cities. Yeah, I mean, it may be that drones end up being the rural answer, right? And the delivery robots end up being the urban answer, right? For that? Yeah, but, but on the other hand, you know, delivery robots, if they're using the sidewalk, then they're... Uh, uh, we've seen uh, large cities uh, pushing back on those uh, sidewalk uh, driving robots uh, yeah. because then they compete with humans on, on that real estate. Right. 
And yeah. if they're using uh, you know, the road, then it's, it's not the best user experience because then you have to exit your building and go to the car and pick up your food. And that vehicle isn't going to be uh, affordable. That's a, a, a car on the road with autonomous systems in it. Yeah, it, it, it's almost it, it's almost to me like every little every area, whether it's you know rural, urban, um, you know size of package, etc. Each one has its own unique problem, right? <laughs> and you've got to oh, develop sure. you got, you got to develop sure, sure. six solutions instead of one that can solve all six. That's how it, it always works. You know, there's a huge difference between a, a delivering a burrito on an e-bike in Manhattan uh, to delivering an Amazon package from an Amazon distribution center. Uh, Hundred miles from your house, two very different problems that require very different vehicles and are being done by two very different companies. Yeah, uh, UPS and DoorDash both do deliveries, but you know if I tell you that UPS are gonna uh, compete with uh, DoorDash tomorrow, well, what the heck? These are two very different companies. <laughs> yeah. And even if you buy UPS a hundred scooters and tell them, okay, go do food deliveries in Manhattan, they, you know it's it's a, it's, it's a, entirely different company yeah yeah um a, a final question for you if, if we can if, if you want to share um from a technology standpoint you know is there anything that you'd be looking for in the next couple of years that is going to be a major breakthrough um th that might change the equation on autonomous deliveries in any way so i i think that most of the uh technology that we need is already here and yeah. i think that in about a year to two years from now, we're going to see an inflection point of not uh, the question to, uh, that will be asked is not when is this coming, but we'll start asking when is this coming to my house. Uh, we'll, you know, in the stations we already operate, people are already enjoying the future. And I believe that between one to two years, we'll start seeing a lot more delivery drones uh, throughout the US. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can't wait, honestly. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait. Um, thank you, Yarov. Uh, appreciate the time today. Um, with it's all the time that we have today, I hope everybody out there enjoyed the conversation as much as I did um, and start looking to the skies. You may be seeing drones over your head delivering packages to your neighbors shortly um, if we have our way. So uh, look, look in the future. I love it. Um, special thank you to all of you out there who took time to listen to us today for Supply Chain Management Review. I am Brian Strait, and this has been Talking Supply Chain. Talking Supply Chain is produced by Supply Chain Management Review and Peerless Media. You can find it on scmr.com, supplychain247.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. For more information on this topic or to sign up for our weekly newsletter, a print or a digital subscription to our publication, visit scmr.com. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For Supply Chain Management Review, I'm Brian Strait, and thank you for listening.